I would like to welcome uh, a friend of ours, uh, Manis Joseph, is here in the U.S. Uh, for the very first visit. This is May's father, uh, and brother, we're glad you're here uh, with us uh, today. Love you guys, and we, we, love, we love your country, and uh, delighted the Lord has given us a relationship uh, there. Uh, Friday, we decided to give uh, Manus a real good dose of East Tennessee, so we went to the Golden Corral. <laughs> then we went halfway up the chimneys. I wanted to exaggerate, but, you know, in church, fourth, I probably shouldn't do that. We went halfway up the chimneys, hiked back down, walked the whole thing of Gatlinburg, looked at all of that. Uh, then went to the loop at Cades Cove and drove all through that and then stopped at a subway on the way home. <laughs> it was about 11 o'clock when we got back and everybody's falling asleep, but we thought, now you've seen East Tennessee. You know, that's pretty much uh, the icons. Uh, but we've enjoyed that. And we enjoy the, um, the freedom that we have in our nation. And I know that oftentimes we don't feel as free as maybe we once were. You know, I've reflected a lot this weekend and, and gone back and reread and thought through uh, some of the things that have brought us to where we are. And uh, it's a sweeping grand adventure, this experiment of democracy in the way that we have approached that uh, with our republic. And it's just an unusual thing that, uh, that God has allowed in our lifetime. On September 8th in 1892, a Boston youth magazine uh, entitled The Youth's Companion published for the very first time uh, a little recitation called Pledge to the Flag. The next month, uh, 12 million students recited that for the very first time in classrooms, and it would continue to develop until it became what we know as our Pledge to Allegiance. In the Roman world, at the time that Romans was written in the Bible, uh, there was a mentality that if you held allegiance to anything other than Rome, you couldn't be a good citizen. The leaders in that state understood and knew that if you were being allegiant to your God and you were being, uh, showing allegiance to a country, that eventually those two had the potential to conflict. I've met friends in... Eastern Europe and in Cuba and other places in China where they've not always enjoyed uh, the freedoms that we have and uh, had brothers and sisters to share with me in moments of decision where they had to uh, confront uh, the issue of what do I do next? Whom do I obey? Those choices don't always come easily. And they didn't come easily for the Christians who lived in Rome because the thinking was that the laws of your religion and the laws of Rome eventually are going to clash. Uh, and their laws were not the kind that taught children to be nice, to play fair, and look both ways, and obey the police. They, they were not those kind of rules. In fact, many of the religions of that culture had no uh, code whatsoever of morality. In fact, there was encouragement of their followers sometimes to disrespect human life and the rule of society. So, first century Rome had its own sanctioned religion, and it, and it included the worship of many gods. So, they were very uh, suspicious of Judaism and of Christianity. And it was in that context that Paul wrote the very first verses of chapter 13 of Romans. 
If you have a Bible and can find that, uh, I think there we see, we can find keys. Some of the things he says are surprising uh, when you consider the amount of government-sponsored persecution that Christians endured in ways that we've never known in this country and may never know before Jesus comes back. The writers of the New Testament never encouraged a rebel kind of mentality when it came to obedience to the governor authorities. Again and again and again, uh, believers are encouraged to support their leaders, to obey their leaders, to pray for their their leaders. Uh, So in short, we, we see believers are encouraged encouraged to be good citizens. Our passage today is Romans 13, 1 through 7. I'd like for us to read that together because I think that kind of sums up a lot of who God wants us to be as citizens. And this is the way it goes. Let every person be subject to the governed authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you must also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. It doesn't sound like the um, manual for a revolutionary, does it? (laughs) Because it's not. Because it's not. You see, the church's strategy has never been to change the world through the political process. The church's strategy, the power of the gospel, has always been to change the world by introducing them to the life-changing power of Jesus. When our country began to go through some recent changes, I asked a friend who lives in Europe, what is your perception And he said, well, we have conflicting views. And, you know, he said, the only thing I can tell you is this. All eyes are always on the U.S. He said, everyone here watches to see what direction will America go. And the thought came to me that if Christians could be people of influence in this nation, and this nation is an influence to all other nations the power that we have to change the world from the inside out with good news, with good news. Paul would say we're not to use all of our energy in trying to overthrow the government. In fact, we should, he he would say, submit to the government. And am I saying that we don't get involved politically or that we always just agree and just go along with whatever is happening in Washington? Absolutely not. I'm not saying that, so hang with me. What I do want to say is that Romans 13 is a general guideline to follow. But these guidelines don't always equally apply to all nations and all generations. 
Are there governments that demand more of their citizens than is normal and fair? Yes. Are there governments that try to force people of faith to deny their faith? Yes. Are there governments that persecute believers simply for the fact that they are believers? Yes, obviously. And I've spoken with many of those people. And when it comes to choosing God or choosing government, we see that the example in the New Testament and the example of the early church and Christians and actually all of those who follow God, when you think of Daniel, when you think of Joseph, when you think of those who would walk with the Lord in other cultures that were really anti-God, it's amazing that we're still here and that we've prospered. But given those moments, those situations where you choose between the government and God, Christians, we always choose God first. There are countries that force citizens that have, to have abortions. There are countries that forbid parents from teaching their children about Jesus. There are countries that prohibit Christians from even worshiping together. And they, they have to figure out alternative ways to, to quietly gather Because believers around the world know we need to obey God first. It's a tragedy that persecution of that magnitude still exists in the world today, but it does. It does. If I have my information correct, more people will die martyrs from persecution this year than any year in history. And there's a part of us that think, oh, that's medieval, or or, that was something at another time in another place. No, folks, it's today. And so I encourage you, let's don't take what we have for granted. And let's keep those Christians in our prayers because they're suffering uh, in ways that we can't imagine. And whenever um, I'm faced with a minor inconvenience or, or someone, and it happened this week, you know, the fact that I'm a pastor, I've had a, uh, an unusual status in culture, and the present administration said, well, that changes now. We don't see you the same, and we, we don't hold you apart in a different way anymore you're, you know, you're in a different category. You know, and we, we all face that in, in little ways. Um, but it's not the same as what some of our brothers and sisters face uh, around the world. You know, we have endured, and just in my lifetime, the changes I've seen I, I, that I think about is uh, that prayer is forbidden before m- many football games. Um, Places I used to walk into as a minister, like high school campuses and, and uh, other, other environments, are, are now uh, off limits uh, many times. Nativity scenes are banned and, you know, and taken down from public uh, properties. And we always see unfair caricatures of, of Christians in the media. I mean, it just, it just kind of goes, goes on and on. And that's from my life. I'm that generation, probably the last generation that remembers saying the Pledge of Allegiance every morning and reading from the Bible. And we would take turns as classmates, and whose day was it to read from the Scripture? And uh, that would be unheard of in most public schools that I know of today. I'm all for prayer at football games, and I love nativity scenes, and I don't like it when movies or television shows just gratuitously denigrate Christians. You know, uh, that's annoying. It's, it's frustrating to us, but we have to keep our perspective. Folks, we're not in prison. We're not being beaten. The government isn't trying, at least proactively, to shut us down. In the midst of all the conspiracy theories and all the finger-pointing and all the name-calling, it's easy to forget one reality that today, I hope we walk back out remembering, we live 
in a great country. We're trying to make our borders more secure, not to keep people in like many countries do, but to regulate, you know, uh, who, who can enter because so many folks want to get here, not out. We enjoy a level of freedom that no nation has ever extended to its citizens. We enjoy a level of prosperity that no other nation, it has never been possible for citizens to live in the way that we live. America is not perfect, far from it. But this nation deserves our allegiance. If Paul could tell the Christians in Rome, you need, you need to submit to the governing authorities for your own good, then we should be able to do the same thing. So as we just kind of walk through some of the principles or some of the ideas in Romans 13, I want to talk about what I see that's obvious in, in this passage that Christian citizens can do individually and Christian churches corporately can do to demonstrate how do we show allegiance to the Lord and how do we pledge allegiance to our country. Well, first thing is this, we play by the rules. Paul said in verse 1, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except the authority that God has established. God has allowed uh, the people and the system to be there in that place. So we play by the rules. I'll give you a couple of examples. I know a pastor in West Tennessee and uh, they had a 4th of July celebration, and what he wanted to do uh, was to shoot off fireworks for the children, have a big fireworks display, and, and invite all the community in to see that. But the pastor knew that the city had said, um, that's against the law. We can't do that. It's too dry, and you'll start a fire, and it's just against the law. So since he already knew that that was the case, instead of bringing it up and being told, no, you can't do that, he just ignored it. He didn't ask for permission. He just kind of quietly, you know, kept that, you know, kind of kind of cool. And then the day of the celebration on the 4th of July, he did the fireworks display anyway. Uh, and, of course, there was criticism. He was caught in the violation of the city code. And after the pastor got called on the carpet, and he just, he just said, uh, we need a permit? And he just kind of played it like that. You know, I oh, my goodness, I didn't know we had to. Well, sorry, it won't happen again. We thought, well, you won't need to worry about that for several more years. You know, and the church got criticized a little bit. But they decided we don't have to play by the rule because we're a church. I know another church, and they wanted to put it, and we have, in, we have lived like this. For those of you who are not used to uh, Calvary or you're a guest here today, uh, because of our position in this, you know, uh, uh, community, you know, we're in kind of a historic area, and we're right here on Kingston Pike. Uh, there are a lot of rules of what we can do and what we can't do, and a lot of guidelines, and we've kind of bumped up against that several times uh, in our church history. I knew a church, and they wanted to put a certain kind of sign up in front of their church, and it was big, and it was kind of attention-getting, and uh, the city wouldn't allow it because they said it violated some, some sort of code. Um, the problem was the church had already bought the sign. They already had the sign. They didn't know what to do with it, so um, they waited a little while, and they just said, you know what, we're going to put it up anyway. So they put it up. City officials noticed the sign, and, and they asked them, could you remove your sign because it, it breaks city code. Uh, and they just waited. And requests were made, followed by demands that the sign, you know, be taken down. Finally, the city threatened legal action, and it made the papers. And at this point, the pastor went before his church and he explained to the congregation, we're being persecuted by the city, and they don't want the gospel proclaimed. And, 
And some of the, uh, the city officials are going, well, that's really not fair to put it to boxes in like that. We told you ahead of time you shouldn't do that. And they eventually took the sign down, but it went on for about a year and a half before they finally complied with the law. And it left a bad taste in people in the community's mouth about that. And you've seen that. I've seen churches and parachurch ministries and individuals who think, well, because we're Christians, the rules really don't apply to us. And if there's a rule we don't want to follow, then we'll just say we're being persecuted and we won't have to do that. And so we'll get to pick and choose what we obey. The fact is, we live in a country where it's kind of easy sometimes to, to bend the rules and, and to even ignore some of those rules and certain rules and consequences, you know, and not that severe. But just because you can get away with it doesn't mean we have permission to do that. Believers, we need to make it a habit of following the rules simply because they exist. And that means sometimes we're going to be inconvenient. Sometimes it's not going to be fair. We've got to follow the rules anyway. Our testimony and our witness to a lost society is in the balance. Sometimes we don't get to put up the sign or we don't get to... Um, do fireworks or whatever it is, or we may have to pay a tax that we don't feel like we should pay, you know, and all those things and red tape. And I I think we have a lot of red tape to go through until you visit another nation. And then all of a sudden you find out we have nothing, you know, and and there's all these hoops to jump through to get permission to do so many things. Uh, But the point is this, the rules apply to us as well as they do to everyone else. Paul said in verse 7, if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. It's just that simple. When Jesus himself was asked about taxes, he reminded them, whose who's portrait's on the money? They said, well, Caesar's. He said then in Matthew twenty two twenty one, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Then give to God what is God's. He didn't see a conflict. I think Jesus was teaching, stop trying to beat the system all the time. Don't try to get out of your responsibilities. Just be a good citizen. And don't pretend like the rules are different for us than they are for others. They do. They apply to us. Another idea that I see is this. Let's just practice being civil. You know, we can change the image, the perception for those of us who walk with Jesus. uh, I think there's an unfair perception about us, whether we're judgmental or whether we're harsh or whether we're legalistic. We can change that just by following Paul's advice. In verse 7, he said, Give to everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And let's just focus on those last two, respect and honor. I was down the street not long ago in a coffee shop, and I was in line, you know, waiting, waiting to get my coffee, and there were a couple of guys ahead of me, and they were talking about the country. And because I have opinions about that, I'm kind of listening in on their conversation You know, one of the guys made some comments about uh, our former president, uh, George Bush, and they were just going beyond being critical. He just got just plain mean. And he didn't say, you know what, I disagree with our president about this and this, or I don't think Bush has got this and this right. No, he would say, you know, I don't like this guy because he is a blankety blank, blank, blank. And I thought, oh my goodness. And he just kind of took it to that level. He didn't just criticize him or disagree with his policies. He just starts calling him vulgar names. And he blamed everything that's wrong uh, with America on him. Hey, folks, listen. We have a right to our opinions. And you have the freedom to express those opinions in any way, you know, that is appropriate. But what I encourage you to do is to let's find ways to express our opinions without insults without name-calling. 
If we've got something to say, and I've got, an opinion, I've got strong opinions about a lot of things, but if you've got something to say about a political personality, you know, let's say it without hatred. Because issues will come and go, but our testimony and the witness, and I've seen people who felt radically different from me about political issues trust Christ as their Savior, and over time, their, their views change drastically as they draw nearer and nearer to Christ and, and understand better and better uh, the principles of Scripture. And I think it helps to engage in dialogue, even debate with some of your friends, your coworker, your families. We have had some of our liveliest conversations in my extended family around political issues. But I always try to keep in mind, I may be the only Christian that they're around for a while. I may be the only voice of Jesus or representation of Scripture that they're going to see uh, for a period of time. And I need to do this well. I need to disagree, but I need to do it respectfully. And there's always going to be pros and cons of candidates at election times, and there's going to be views about issues that concern all of us. Uh, And I think it's a good idea to talk about those things. But let's keep in mind uh, that while that's happening, we give every person honor and respect that they're due. And I'll be honest, you know, out of the three ideas that I'm sharing with you this morning, this one may be the one that challenges me personally the most. Sometimes it's just so difficult. I read an article uh, this week in the London Times uh, by fem- feminist and Antonia Senior uh, who said um, that we must be willing, and we're talking about the issue of abortion because she said, you know, for the first time, she goes, I always understood that that life inside of me was not really a human being, but that it was tissue, it was this, and it had the potential to be life. But then she had a child of her own, and she says, now that I have a child, I understand that is a human being. And I thought that was a huge statement for uh, such a, a, you know, a feminist of, of her caliber and influence in the world to say. But then, and this is shocking to me, maybe uh, we, we get so jaded. said, you know what? If we're willing to die for a cause, however, in her case, feminism, she said, then we must also be willing to kill for that cause. 200,000 babies put to death in England this year, we're willing to do that and to see that happen to promote a political agenda. Since 1973, 50 million unborn humans have been killed. And when I hear someone speak cavalier about that, when I hear someone say, well, it's just a a political issue, and I think, no, that's a moral issue. It's hard for me to maintain respect. You know, it's hard for me to continue to honor that person in a conversation. Here's what the Apostle Peter said. He in 1 Peter 2 17, he said, Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. He also said it in chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. He's talking about how we share our faith. You can speak the truth, but we speak it with love. And there are people, our leaders, people who would office in our community, in Knoxville, Knox County, in Tennessee, in our nation, uh, that maybe you don't disagree with, and you don't have to like them. You don't have to agree with them about everything. You also don't have to stand by silently 
uh, and just kind of think, well, I think that's wrong, but I'm, I'm not going to say anything about that. No, you can speak your mind, but we do it with respect. And here's one other idea. Participate to your heart's content. I'm not one of those pastors that say, Christians, we're of a different, we're of a different kingdom, so just ignore everything around you and just, just let America go to hell. We don't care. You know, we, we've got ours, and, and we're just, we're just going to ignore that. No, I don't, I don't hold that. I also don't hold a position where I think we need to get really radical and board up the church windows and, and you know, protect this place in a militant way. You know, I, I think that what Paul is teaching us is that our response falls somewhere in between. Christians have always interpreted this passage in different ways and used it as a license to kind of do what they naturally want to do in their personality or with their views. But everyone agrees that we're to live at peace with the state as long as the state will allow us to live out our convictions of faith. Over the years, this passage has been approached, in, at least I think in, in about three different ways. One is some believers think that the state is so corrupt that Christians should just have little to do with it as possible. Then I look at Joseph who worked for Pharaoh and made him prosperous and, and you know, built the ancient Egypt. And I look at Daniel and Babylon and I thought, wow, ungodly cultures, but yet they gave their very best in those situations. I think we, you know, we, we are good citizens and we obey the law. Uh, and I don't know about this approach. It says you never get involved in politics to create change. Others believe that God has given the state authority in certain areas and the church authority in other areas and, you know, that Christians can be loyal to both and work for either because there's a separation between government and church. There's a separation between uh, Christianity and the state. Those are just two separate spheres, and they should never overlap and never cross. The fact is, though, and many of you have already faced this, it's just kind of hard to really live in a world and to keep those apart, spiritual and physical. Others believe that Christians have a responsibility to make this place better, to leave it better than when we found it. And we can do this politically by electing Christians and high-principled leaders to offices of influence. We can do this by working to change legislation where it's needed, and by voicing our opinion when possible, and even maybe protesting when necessary. And let me encourage you to do this, because I know elections are coming up, and you're beginning to see that the signs pop, and there's some good people involved in this process. Vote your issues, but vote your values. Character is what's going to make the difference in the long term. And you may get one of your agendas satisfied with someone, but you kind of have to go, uh, I don't know. He just really lives, you know, she's got totally different value. I'm just going to try to not think about that because I really want to push this one thing through. No, I'm going to encourage you, step back and look at the big picture and vote with your values and vote for people of character. Christians have a responsibility to do what we can to make this country better. Your involvement will always be determined by your conscience, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. For some, that means, you know, the way that you vote. That means working toward an issue or campaigning for a candidate. For others, that means you might need to run for an office yourself. You might need to be involved in the process at a level that you never had thought would be an option for you, but God may call you in that direction. 
Just give me, let me give you a couple of things to remember. One is that the level of involvement in the political sphere is up to each person. There may be an issue that you become very passionate about. Work for that. Throw yourself into that with your whole heart. Maintain your Christian values. But remember that other committed believers maybe don't share that particular conviction and passion about that issue. So don't let an issue become the defining issue of your life. Does that make sense? Don't let one political thing that's going to come and go become everything that you're about. Keep it focused on Jesus. Realize that he is, he is what our life is about. And when someone says, what are, what, are, what, are they, what, is the, what are they into? Make sure that we, they understand the bigger picture. And while good government is a good thing to have and I long for that, we need to remember that good government is not the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. We need to remember that no candidate, no political ideology is the hope of America. I believe Jesus is the hope of America. And if we can change people's hearts, we can change people's minds. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord. You can be as involved as you want to be, and I'm encouraging you to get involved in the political process, whether it's locally in our community, whether it's in our country. But remember this, our ultimate obligation is not to the kingdoms of this world, but to the kingdom of God. We're not built for this place. Earth is a temporary home for us. We are citizens of heaven. Like I said a moment ago, our country's not perfect. Far from it. Uh, But we do have a lot to be thankful for. And we have an obligation that goes along with that gratitude to make our community and our country a certain place. And I'm encouraging you to be a certain kind of citizen. Let's be a certain kind of church that, that lives for the Lord. We honor the name of Christ by the way that we conduct ourselves publicly in society. Let's play by the rules. Let's practice civility. And let's participate in that process. Thomas Paine said, we have it in our power to begin the world anew. I think we do. And I think if the world will be changed, and if we'll see it changed in our lifetime, it'll be through the most powerful um, factor about us, which is the gospel of Jesus. When I was a boy, um, there was a television program that we watched faithfully every week. And I was pretty young when this was out, but it was just one of the funniest guys that... um, and my parents would let me, one of the shows that it was okay to watch, is a comedian by the name of Red Skelton. Some of you have never heard of him because he's way before your time. But there was one program that I still remember that was such an impact and an influence because he clarified this pledge that we've referred to today. And I just wanted to show you a clip of his interpretation of that. And I hope you enjoy it, but I hope you're blessed by it. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for your grace and your love in our lives. I thank you, Father, that we live in a country that's so blessed. We enjoy more freedoms than any country at any time in the history of the world has and such prosperity that others would only dream of. Father, help us to wear that well. Help us to never forget the price that freedom was bought with. 
by our fathers and their fathers before them. Father, give us a heart to be loyal and faithful to this nation, that we would be ready to defend our liberties, to protect our children and the next generations, and, Father, to even secure freedoms in places that long to know liberty. So, Father, we pledge above and beyond all our allegiance to you. And after that, Father, we ask you would give us the grace to be good citizens. We praise you. We thank you for today and for all that you've done. And, Father, for what you will do in an uncertain future through the power of the gospel of Jesus. And we ask these things and lift you up in his name. I remember a teacher that I had. Now, I, only, I, went, I went through the seventh grade. I went to the seventh grade. I left home when I was 10 years old because I was hungry. And I used to, this, this is true. I work in the summer and I go to school in the winter. But I had this one teacher. He was the principal of the Harrison School in Vincennes, Indiana. To me, this was the greatest teacher, a real sage of, of my time, anyhow. He had such wisdom. And we were all reciting the Pledge of Allegiance one day. And he walked over, this little old teacher, Mr. Laswell was his name. Mr. Laswell, and he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, I've been listening to you boys and girls recite the Pledge of Allegiance all semester, and it seems as though it's becoming monotonous to you. If I may, may I recite it and try to explain to you the meaning of each word. I, me, an individual, a committee of one, pledge, dedicate all of my worldly goods to give without self-pity, allegiance, my love and my devotion to the flag, our standard, O oh glory, a symbol of freedom, wherever she waves, there's respect because your loyalty has given her a dignity that shouts freedom is everybody's job united that means that we have all come together states individual communities that have united into 48 great states 48 individual communities with pride and dignity and purpose all divided with imaginary boundaries, yet united to a common purpose, and that's love for country. And to the Republic, Republic, a state in which sovereign power is invested in representatives chosen by the people to govern. And government is the people, and it's from the people to the leaders, not from the leaders to the people for which it stands. One nation, one nation, meaning so blessed by God, indivisible, incapable of being divided with liberty, which is freedom, the right of power to live one's own life without threats, fear, or some sort of retaliation and justice, 
the principle or qualities of dealing fairly with others. For all. For all. Which means, boys and girls, it's as much your country as it is mine. And now, boys and girls, let me hear you recite the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Since I was a small boy, two states have been added to our country and two words have been added to the Pledge of Allegiance under God. Wouldn't it be a pity if someone said that is a prayer and that would be eliminated from schools too? Before we go to our picnic, let's pray together for our nation, for one another.